0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. President Trump says he
1: trusts his hunch more than health data. The lead starts right now. Breaking news, a cruise ship held off California with close to two dozen people possibly infected with the novel coronavirus and thousands potentially exposed. Punch science, President Trump blasted for causing coronavirus confusion as he publicly doubts what doctors are saying about how deadly the virus is. Plus... Senator Elizabeth Warren exits the race, leaving Bernie and Biden to battle it out. Could her endorsement change this campaign yet again? This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. on Jake Tapper. We're going to start with breaking news. A brutal day on Wall Street as we come up on the closing bell. You hear it there, the Dow plunging. Closing down more than 900 points, almost 1,000. Let's go right to CNN's Allison Kozak at the New York Stock Exchange. And Allison, what is with these wild swings? We had two historic gains this week, then a big drop again, like this one today.
2: Jake keep your seatbelt on 1000 is the new 100 metaphorically speaking today clearly the Dow closing down only uh, a little over 900 points. Uh, One trader telling me get used to these outsized moves at least until investors become more confident in government officials that they have a handle on the coronavirus crisis. It's fear and uncertainty that's driving this market. Fear that the virus will wind up slowing down the U.S. economy considerably. It'll keep consumers from spending and ultimately hurt businesses. Uncertainty over just how much the impact of the virus will hurt the global economy. Jake?
1: All right, Alison Kozak of the New York Stock Exchange. Thanks so much. Now to our 2020 lead, Senator Elizabeth Warren, officially dropped out of the presidential race this afternoon. The Massachusetts Democrat Made the announcement earlier today after a disappointing Super Tuesday, saying she has no regrets and promising to keep up the fight. The focus now shifts to who, if anyone, Warren might endorse. Asked today, the senator said she wanted to take a little time to think about it, but we know both Joe Biden and Senator Bernie Sanders have spoken to Warren in the last few days, according to their campaigns. Warren's exit leaves just one woman left in the presidential race Hawaii Congresswoman. Tulsi Gabbard, who has just one pledged delegate to her name, at its peak there were six women vying for the Democratic presidential nomination, prompting questions as to whether in the year 2020 women candidates are still held to a different standard and have to fight sexism and misogyny along with all the other political battles, which Warren was asked about this afternoon.
3: Gender in this race, you know. That is the trap question for every woman. If you say, yeah, there was sexism in this race, everyone says, whiner. And if you say, no, there was no sexism, about a bazillion women think, what planet do you live on? Um, I promise you this, I will have a lot more to say on that subject later on.
1: So Senator Warren saying that you'll have a lot more to say on that subject. Uh, later on, but let's talk about it us right now. Uh, Did Elizabeth Warren and the other women who ran for president, Tulsi Gabbard's still running, but the others, Kamala Harris, Emily Klobuchar, etc., did they face a double standard? Did they have to also fight off sexism and misogyny in addition to the regular political battles? Yeah,
3: I think women always do. They they always face a double standard and I think, you know, and I think for for Kamala Harris, she was probably facing two double standards because she's a person of color. So, that's just a fact of life and that's the, the way it is. And I think that you can go into some specifics about how Elizabeth Warren was tr- treated, people talking about her being, you know, sort of a schoolmarm and sanctimonious and all these other things that you wouldn't say about a male candidate. And I also think if if I do wonder if people were so willing to keep lowering the bar for some of these women candidates the way they have for Joe Biden, if things might not have gone differently for them. And I don't just mean in the media. I mean voters. I think Mm -hmm. voters are really willing to cut white men a lot of slack. That it's hard to believe that if any of these women had made the mistakes or stumbles that Joe Biden had, that they would be in the position that he's in. I I do think that's a
4: really important point, because a lot of times when we talk about this, there's a lot of focus on the media. And this is not to... To say that there is not, not it 's not important how we talk about gender, but as a reporter, when I talk to voters mm-hmm. and you hear you know the, the, the sexism frankly coming back at you, you know you have to look at the electorate. I think people have really ingrained biases about. What they think a president looks like, what they think a president should be, uh, uh, how they perceive women, how they describe to to uh, reporters and to pollsters, uh, how they interpret their character and their presentation. All of those things mattered. And I think they mattered for Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren and all of the women who ran in this race. Hillary Clinton knew this very well. It was hard for everybody to analyze what happened with Hillary Clinton because she had such a long history. But now we look at women who have much shorter histories and we see a very similar pattern. And this is going to be one of the most difficult things to un, uh, to, to to really uh, to unpack in our electorate, where you have sexism not just coming from men, but also coming from women. There are a lot of women out there who don't think that a woman necessarily should be president, or they can't say which woman they ever would be comfortable with being Mm. president. Um, We have to grapple with these hard issues. And I think that's Mm. what's uh, what's behind some of it.
1: And Amanda, you're a Republican, but you were at times during this campaign bullish on Warren. There was obviously, Mm -hmm. even if you disagreed with a lot of her policy positions, there was something about her that you that you seem to applaud uh, often. Uh, Do you think she faced a double standard from from voters and from the media?
5: You know, I'm not sure. I'm eager to hear what she has to say because it happened to her. Um, Listen, she raised a lot of money. She had a great organization. She did well in the Iowa polls. Um, But that said, there is a question about women running for office. And I think the big problem is that we don't know what a female president looks like because we haven't had one. Like our stereotypical image of a president is a white guy with a side part in a suit. Right. And so we're not there yet. So but I do feel hopeful even as a Republican watching all the Democratic women run because They are showing what it could look like. And I think we're just going to have to keep showing and showing and showing until it happens. But if I could change one thing Mm -hmm. from here on out when it comes to covering women, whenever someone says, I just don't know if I like her,
2: Mm
6: -hmm.
5: that's usually cover for something they don't want to say. And they need to be asked, what is it specifically that you don't like? Is it her tone? Is she not qualified? Because we need that specificity. Otherwise, it's just, you know, giving cover for things that are unsavory, in my opinion.
1: So, do you think that Elizabeth Warren is going to endorse one of these two candidates? Um, I, I, I can't help but think back to 2016. She was the only Democratic woman senator who did not support Hillary Clinton. She waited till the very end. She kind of likes to be Switzerland on these kinds of things.
7: Well, she obviously wants to have a role in this process in terms of making sure that whoever our nominee is will beat Donald Trump. And she said today... She wants to take time. These are very personal decisions to get out of a race, I think, and especially being a woman and someone trying to figure out what will be, what will my role be moving forward? But at the same time, I think any, if she, if anyone gets her endorsement, they will be extremely lucky. She'll be a very effective advocate. But at the same time, I'm not sure that she will endorse. I mean, today she sort of signaled that she was going to go back and do some work and talk to some folks. But I think that when it comes to Elizabeth Warren, she's going to do what is best for our party. And we'll see from there.
1: She clearly is more policy-wise aligned with Senator Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is what Sanders uh, had to say. He made a pitch to her supporters.
0: While Senator Warren and I had nuances of differences, we did. That there is no question that her agenda, uh, what she fought for in the campaign, was far closer to what I am fighting for than uh, what Joe Biden believes in. That's true.
1: Yeah,
3: no, I think that that's true. I, I do think that everyone needs to give the Warren supporters kind of a minute to process this. And, and, and the, I think that they need that. that it, it's not right to assume that they go automatically to Bernie or that they're even necessarily aligned with Bernie. A lot of them, I mean, anecdotally, I can tell you a lot of people I know they were Hillary supporters. And so they already have bad blood with Bernie Hmm. from the Hillary situation. And so now to bring them around to that is going to to take a lot of work. And so I think everyone needs to kind of take a step back and, and leave them alone a little bit. And I just want to say quickly on the earlier conversation about the sexism, because I think some people will hear us talking and be offended and say, well, I'm not sexist because I didn't support her. And the thing is so much of so much of the way we think about women is internalized and we don't even realize that we do it. So even I'm sure I do it, right? It's like, we just, we've learned to think about women a certain way. We've learned to think about what a leader looks like. And I think a lot of times we're very uncomfortable with women who have it all together. Like Elizabeth Warren does, she's so competent. Um, And I think that, you know, people will start to feel like I can't relate to you or you're too harsh or something. And so Mm -hmm. I think we all have to just try to be aware of the fact that we have these kind of biases that we're not even aware of.
1: Everyone stick around. We've got a lot more to talk about. Super Tuesday did not only change the Democratic race for president, it also reignited Republican focus on Joe Biden and his son Hunter. But not every Republican in the Senate is on board. Then the number of cases appearing to be growing by the hour, the latest on the coronavirus outbreak and new deaths reported. Stay with us. In our 2020 lead, as Joe Biden reemerges as the Democratic frontrunner, so too are Republican efforts to investigate his son's involvement with Burisma, the Ukrainian energy company. But after the Senate Homeland Security Committee made moves in that direction, at least one Republican senator on that committee is saying, not so fast.
8: There's no question but that the appearance of looking into Burisma and Hunter Biden uh, appears political. And I think people are tired of these uh, these kind of political uh, investigations.
1: The chairman of the committee disputes that, but as CNN's Jeff Zeleny now reports, Senator Romney could be a crucial vote in whether this investigation goes further.
9: Perhaps the best sign that Joe Biden's rise is real? He's suddenly back in Republican crosshairs.
8: Look, I think the one thing the president doesn't want to do from the very beginning is face me.
9: From the White House to the GOP-controlled Senate, there's new talk of old Biden investigations.
8: It's a good night.
9: All in the wake of that Super Tuesday surge. Senator Ron Johnson, chairman of the Homeland Security Committee, now saying he will release a report in the next two months on the probe of Hunter Biden's ties to the Ukrainian gas company Burisma. The renewed interest started the day after Biden's big South Carolina win.
8: Just days ago, the press and the pundits had declared this candidacy dead.
9: When on a Sunday, Johnson sent this letter saying his committee was considering issuing a subpoena to a U.S. company that worked with Burisma. It was the first indication Republicans were accelerating their investigation into Burisma and the Bidens. Investigations that seemed to have gone dormant when Biden's frontrunner status slipped away and his candidacy faltered.
2: They're coming after you more. <laughs> Of course. There's nothing there.
9: The president and his allies have repeatedly made unfounded and false claims to allege the Bidens acted corruptly in Ukraine. The president making clear on Fox News that Hunter Biden's business dealings will be front and center in the race if Biden is the nominee.
8: That will be a major issue in the campaign. I will bring that up all the time. Not all Republicans seem willing to play along
9: including Senator Mitt Romney.
8: There's no question but that the appearance of looking into Burisma and Hunter Biden uh, appears political. And I think people are tired of these uh, these kind of political uh, investigations.
9: While on the Democratic side, as the race narrows to a head-to-head battle with Bernie Sanders...
0: Joe is running a campaign which is obviously heavily supported by the corporate establishment. The Biden campaign
9: is also bracing for criticism from the left. So what does it mean?
10: When you have a campaign which is funded very significantly by
9: the wealthy and the powerful, It's raising fears among some Democrats it could turn into a 2016-like battle that divided the party.
4: We have taken on the political
8: establishment and they're looking around them and saying, who are
4: all of these people?
9: Now, many Democrats are concerned that the next chapter of this Democratic primary fight could become divisive. Yes, there are policy differences between Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, and those will be laid out. But there's one difference from four years ago, Jake, and that is President Trump himself. There is a unifying feeling among Democrats that he must be defeated. But Trump, for his part, is trying to keep dividing this Democratic field as well. He's saying that Sanders is getting a raw deal from the establishment. So Trump is still playing a central role in this primary race.
1: All right, Jeff Zelani. thanks so much. Let's continue our conversation. Let's start with Senator Romney's criticism of the uh, Senate Homeland Security Committee's uh, investigation into Burisma and Hunter Biden. Just, Just a reminder that this all started back in 2014 and there was really no interest expressed by any Republican investigators until Joe Biden became a presidential uh, contestant uh, in, in, in 2019. Do you expect any other Senate Republicans to side with Romney or, or take a look and say, like, this really just makes us look bad?
5: Um, I, I don't. I mean, we went through a whole impeachment over this, and they were just, you know, ready to go after this stuff. if They are given the chance. And so, yeah, certain people that are President's allies are probably going to use the levers of government to gin something up. But what I am really about worried about this election should Joe Biden get the nomination is that there is something produced on the internet that looks like something, and then all journalistic standards are tested again on how to report something that may or may not be true, like we saw with the WikiLeaks hacking and everything else. Because after all the criticism of Facebook and social media, we still don't have any guardrails for this kind of stuff. And there's no reason... The Trump people wouldn't repeat this again. I mean, what's Rudy Giuliani doing? Anybody know what countries he's been in the last week? I sure don't.
1: Not only that, but there were reports, of course, that Russia was actually hacking Burisma, yes. and who knows what they got. Um, uh, President Trump is or clearly what they'll
5: make up is what I'm saying. I'm or not make up about actual information. If there's yes. real information, let's see it. I'm worried about what will be made up and covered like it's true. Well,
1: President Trump has clearly stated he's going to bring up Hunter Biden's work with Burisma as much as he can. Uh, here he is, just last night.
8: That will be a major issue in the campaign. I will bring that up all the time because I don't see any way out. I don't believe they'll be able to answer those questions. That was purely corrupt.
1: What do you think?
3: Well, I don't see any way out. Like, I have to talk about this. It, it's just it, it gets a little tiring to have to keep going through how completely manufactured this is. The fact that there's really nothing to talk about. You, you could say that perhaps he shouldn't have been on that board. OK. What does Joe Biden have to do with that? That's not the idea that Joe Biden was somehow uh, playing a role in that has been so thoroughly debunked that it's just incredible to me that there's anybody that even can listen to this anymore that that, that there are voters that don't understand what happened. and i I, I just, I guess if this is what Donald Trump wants to make the election about, I don't I don't actually see how it harms Biden. I don't know. I don't yeah. well, know. Well, I will I say wonder. Biden hasn't
5: answered this well himself. And he's going to need a much more robust effort this summer than he did yeah. previously on but this. Subject. I,
4: I do wonder, though, I mean, to your point. This has been kind of out in the world Mm -hmm. now for a long time. It's been, you know, maybe not thoroughly hashed out in the sense that there are the president got impeached over it. But the president (laughs) got exactly the president got impeached over it. We had a little bit of this conversation. So what kind of impact does it have since it does seem to be priced in with voters right now, certainly with Democratic voters, it has been priced in. And if you are um, a Republican voter, you already know how you feel about it. So who is the president really going to persuade if he goes down this path? Uh, And I do think that that the argument that you're going to hear probably on the Democratic side is that Now, you know, the president and Republicans are basically just admitting everything that the impeachment was all about. They're saying that this was political in nature. They're saying that they don't care whether or not the president used the levers of government to pursue a political agenda. And in fact, Republicans on Capitol Hill will help him do it. So I, I... as it as it feeds into the democratic argument about sort of a culture of corruption around this president, uh, it play it goes both
1: ways. So, I might just want to ask you because Joe Lockhart, former Clinton White House mm-hmm. press secretary and a senior contributor, uh, tweeted, "The only way to fight fire is with fire. Democrats in the House need to do a thorough investigation with subpoenas of Don Jr., Ivanka, and Jared. Um Is that the right approach, do you think?
7: Well, first of all, when it comes to Donald Trump and him talking about Burisma, I mean, it's very transparent, as Abby just said. He, they started talking about this right after South Carolina. If they want to talk about this and not healthcare, go ahead we will fight you on health care and we will win. And if elections have anything to do with it, and if you look at the last three elections, we will win on the issue of health care. And so I think the House will do whatever they need to do in terms of of an investigation. But if he's going to make this an electoral issue, we will fight back and we will go right to the voters. And there is no way Donald Trump wins the election.
1: All right, everyone stick around. New coronavirus cases in the U.S. reported almost every hour and now a stunning revelation about the lack of test kits. Stay with us. We are back with the politics lead as the number of coronavirus cases and deaths grow in the United States. President Trump phoned into his favorite channel and said this about the latest estimate of the novel coronavirus fatality rate, 3.4 percent.
8: I think the 3.4 percent is really a false number. Now, this is just my hunch. and uh, But based on a lot of conversations with a lot of people that do this, because a lot of people will have this, and it's very mild, Uh, They'll get better very rapidly. They don't even see a doctor. They don't even call a doctor. Personally, I would say the number is way under 1%.
1: President Trump, who frequently questions the scientific and medical communities, says he's going off his hunch in his message to the American people. That 3.4% figure comes from the director general of the World Health Organization, who said this week, quote, Globally, about 3.4% of reported coronavirus cases have died. By comparison, seasonal flu generally kills far fewer than 1% of those infected, unquote. Now, some medical experts caution that 3.4% is a ratio of deaths divided by confirmed cases of the virus. Confirmed. So it does not include the unconfirmed cases, asymptomatic people, or, or those who have mild symptoms. If you include them, then, of course, the fatality rate would be lower. And it may be that that's what the president was trying to communicate. But it's hard to argue that if that's what he was trying to say, he did so in a clear and understandable way with all the talk of hunches and his his personal view. Instead, the president added to the confusion. Speaking of which, the president took to Twitter today to complain that a, a different comment he made about the crisis was being misrepresented. Quote, I never said people that are feeling sick should go to work, he tweeted. This is just more fake news and disinformation, unquote. This is what President Trump actually said.
8: We have thousands or hundreds of thousands of people that get better just by, you know, sitting around and even going to work. Some of them go to work, but they get better.
1: So it is true that the president never said people who are feeling sick should go to work. He also did not say that they should stay home which is what experts say they should do, stay at home, don't go to work. But that was not conveyed in those comments or in the follow-up tweet, all of which was bereft of expertise, short on clarity, long on confusion. In other words, the exact opposite of what a public health crisis calls for, particularly as the coronavirus is spreading across the nation with more than 200 confirmed cases in at least 17 states, as CNN's Nick Watt now reports.
10: In Washington state, now 70 cases, 11 deaths, seven tied to this nursing home. Quarantine centers being prepped to contain the spread, this motel and a department of corrections site.
8: I'm very confident that that is a safe facility. It is uh, geographically remote.
10: Also, uh, now blanket advice for everyone.
8: We think people should give serious consideration about whether they go to non-essential congregations of people.
10: Amazon now telling Seattle-area employees to work from home through the end of this month. In New York State, the case count doubled overnight from 11 to 22.
8: Eight of the new cases are connected to the attorney from Westchester, the New Rochelle area. Uh, Two are in New York City and one is on Long Island.
10: Meanwhile, Nevada and Tennessee reporting their
8: first cases. The patient is
7: an adult male in Middle Tennessee with a recent history of out-of-state travel.
10: Monday morning, there were 89 known cases across 10 states. Now, we're at 205 in 17 states. Is that number even close to
6: accurate? I think we're seeing the tip of the iceberg with the people who are sick and coming forward. And until we define the bottom of that iceberg, we really can't say...
10: Yesterday, a California man died. He took a cruise aboard the Grand Princess last month. That ship now held off the California coast. Nearly 3,500 on board, some showing symptoms.
11: Spirits on board are starting to get quite low.
10: Coronavirus test kits were choppered out to the ship.
11: The majority of people on board are like over 70. So there's a lot of concern there because a lot of them, they suffer with
8: ill health anyway. So this is like the angel of death for, for older individuals.
10: Now, since we made that graphic saying 205 cases, we've had 10 more confirmed. So we're now at 215. Jake, that is how quickly this number is ticking up. Now, right now, there are no plans for restrictions on domestic travel within the U.S., but Many airlines are reporting demand for tickets is way down. So it seems that some of us, at least, are imposing travel restrictions upon ourselves. Jake.
1: All right, Nick Watt in California. Thanks so much. Joining me now is CNN's chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay, there are now hundreds of confirmed cases of coronavirus across more than a dozen states. At least 12 people have died in the United States. There's now this cruise ship being held off the California coast to test passengers for the virus. Is this what you expected? Is it worse than you expected?
6: I I think that public health officials have known for some time this was going to start spreading in the United States. I mean, there was plenty of evidence from other countries around the world. So it, it does fall in line with what we've expected. I think the fact that we have not tested, Jake, we've talked about this a lot, that this testing has not been done as robustly as other places. We still don't have clear vision on exactly how widespread this is in the United States. But what we've seen so far does does fall does fit the pattern.
1: The the assistant secretary of health and human services said today that because uh, there is not a vaccine or sufficient testing kits in the United States, quote, quite frankly, right now, the only thing we really have is kind of 18th century public health, 18th century public health. Do you agree with that?
6: I, I, I certainly don't want to disagree with the assistant secretary. Look, I think we. We don't have those things, of course, as he, he mentioned, but we have uh, hospitals, intensive care units, ventilator machines. Uh, we have, uh, you know, sometimes people will develop secondary bacterial infections. We have certain types of antibiotics. I, I do think, to be fair, I think we're better equipped even without a vaccine or, or some of these therapeutics. In the 18th century, they didn't have these things. A lot of times we compare what's happening now to that time frame. To be fair, we are we are in a better position, I think, than we were then.
1: All right. I guess that's some small measure of comfort. We're better off than we were in the 1700s. Sanjay, Vice President Pence today acknowledged that there are not enough coronavirus tests. And there seems to be confusion because the head of the FDA said a million tests will be available by the end of the week. Can you help us understand this discrepancy?
6: I, I spent some time with the vice president yesterday at the White House and really you know, sort of drilled down on this issue uh, in his office. And, and you know, th- this idea that they, these tests are still being sent out, that is true. This idea that state hospitals and university hospitals may ultimately get FDA clearance to do these tests, aside from these kits that are being sent out, That is true. And even commercial labs like Quest, for example. The problem is, Jake, uh, none of this is really available now. And so maybe it's going to start ramping up by the end of this week, which is tomorrow. Uh, (laughs) But I'm still getting calls from my friends who are physicians saying, hey, look, we know we're allowed to test now, which is great. But we don't have the tests. So practically speaking, it's not really translating into something for, for patients out there.
1: President Trump has been saying things last night over the last few days about the coronavirus that are either false, just abjectly false, or or confusing. Uh, I know you don't like to intrude in politics. Uh, Mm. As a medical professional, how concerning is that for you? Is it making your life more difficult?
6: I think it's 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 challenging because, you know, you, you want to just continue to, to, to represent what we do know, the data, as opposed to trying to play catch up on a regular basis. What I would say, Jake, is that I, I, we focus a lot on numbers in the beginning of a story like this. Numbers of infected, numbers who've died, the fatality ratio. The, the reality is we all know these numbers are going to change. They're going to change as we get more data. So I don't know that we should get that caught up in it. There's a couple things we do know. This pathogen is serious. It appears more serious than the flu, and the flu is serious. The other thing, and I and I mean this in terms of looking at the population of people, we know who the vulnerable populations are. The elderly, for example, uh, we should. I, I think it's not so important that 80 percent are are not going to get any illness. That that's good to know, but that also means that you know. 15, 20 percent are going to be vulnerable. We need to be focused on that. I think some good action was taken this week towards really targeting nursing homes, targeting where vulnerable people are to try and protect them now. We know that. That is not that that's that's true. It's not going to change. So, you know, that's something actionable, I think, that we should be focused on.
1: Dr. Sanjay Gupta, thanks so much, as always. And for answers to more of your coronavirus questions, tune in to CNN tonight for a global town hall Dr. Sanjay Gupta will be joined by our own Anderson Cooper separating fact from fiction that's at 10 p.m. eastern only on CNN coming up one relies on the experts the other sticks to his hunch the coronavirus divide in the Trump administration that's next Vice President Mike Pence visiting 3M today 3M is of course the Minnesota company known for making scotch tape and post-its also Makes medical equipment, which is why Pence is there. It's Pence again turning to the experts on coronavirus as his boss, President Trump, takes a different approach, as CNN's Caitlin Collins reports for us.
11: Vice President Mike Pence took his coronavirus task force on the road today.
8: We wanted to be here in Minnesota today.
11: As the administration intensifies its efforts to contain the epidemic.
8: 3M is poised to meet the demand of masks and personal protective equipment.
11: After visiting a company under contract to increase mask production, Pence said the administration is preparing for what's to come and leaning on public health officials for advice. But while Pence often relies on experts to answer questions about coronavirus.
0: I'm gonna
8: ask CDC to respond to that. Well, I'm gonna ask Deborah Burke to address that. I'm gonna ask Dr. Fauci to speak to that.
11: The president is relying on his own instincts.
8: I think the 3.4% is really a false number. Now, this is just my hunch.
11: In an interview on Fox News, the president questioned initial figures from the World Health Organization and suggested some Americans with coronavirus may recover while going about their daily lives, though he denied he was advising that today. He's also continued to say a vaccine is possibly months away, while his own doctors dispute that.
0: So the whole process... It's going to take
8: a year and a half at least.
11: The president has a habit of exaggerating the numbers, whether it's the jobs report or his approval rating, but his critics say he's wading into dangerous territory when it comes to a global health crisis.
2: In this moment, uh, we need the president to let the scientists and medical professionals and the doctors be giving guidance to the American people.
11: Today, he tweeted there were only 129 cases of coronavirus in the U.S., not counting those infected abroad and brought back to the country. At the time of his tweet, CNN counted 163 coronavirus cases in the U.S., including the 49 who were repatriated. That number has since hit at least 205 cases, as Trump says he was initially hesitant to let Americans who contracted the virus abroad back in the United States because of the optics.
8: In one way, I hated to do it statistically. I hated to do it from the standpoint of having people coming in. that's going to, you know, is it going to look bad?
11: Now, Jake, I heard you talking to Dr. Sanjay Gupta about those testing kits that are going out. We should note the vice president's office said today that they have sent out 2,500 to hospitals. There's about 500 tests in each kit, meaning there's a little over a million tests out there, though officials are saying that they are going to need a lot more than that in the weeks to come.
1: Many, many more Caitlin uh, Collins, thanks so much. Companies worldwide taking drastic measures to combat the spread of the novel coronavirus. I want to bring in CNN business editor at large Richard Quest. Uh, Richard, airlines are canceling flights because people don't want to fly. Uh, fears of coronavirus m- must be running rampant.
12: Absolutely. You saw it today. United Airlines stock was down 13 percent and the airlines at the forefront of those making measures, cutting international flying by 20 percent and 10 percent on U.S. flight. JetBlue, smaller network, but 5 percent. And Lufthansa not only says it's got 7,100 flight cuts, but Lufthansa is increasing the number of planes, uh, Jake, that it keeps on the ground. It's now got nearly two dozen planes sitting there doing nothing.
1: And spring uh, tends to jumpstart the conference and concert season. South by Southwest in Austin is in just eight days. Major companies such as Twitter, Facebook are are not attending because of fears of the virus. Uh, Is the tourism industry writ large in, in crisis mode?
12: Total crisis. When you bear in mind that the biggest tourism conference, ITB, cancelled, Mobile World Congress cancelled, I'm not entirely sure why South by Southwest hasn't made more of an effort on cancelling yet, Uh, bearing in mind it is only eight days away and this crisis is by far from being over. But, um, Jake, no question, this tourism industry, IATA, the airline association, says that globally airlines could lose $113 billion this year. People are simply not traveling.
1: What's your take on the Wall Street whiplash going on? The stocks going down almost a thousand points today. Do do you think coronavirus anxiety is, is mostly to blame for all this?
12: Yes, it's gripped it because we do not know what the medium, short to medium term effect is going to be on corporate profits. You get these occasional days when it's a a Sanders effect, for example. But the core feeling in the market at the moment is one of fear and worry.
1: Richard Quest, thank you so much for your expertise as always. Jared Kushner is about to make some serious cash off a company that profited from one of his father-in-law's policies. How's that swamp looking today? Stay with us. The president's senior advisor and son-in-law, Jared Kushner, is set to make millions. He's selling shares in a company that benefited from tax breaks included in President Trump's 2017 tax overhaul tax breaks that he and his wife, Ivanka Trump, pushed for in the White House. And after months of the president railing against Joe Biden's son, Hunter, for using his father's position for financial gain, allegedly, Kushner's windfall is raising major conflict of interest concerns, to say nothing of hypocrisy. CNN's Kara joins me Now, uh, Kara, what are Jared and Ivanka's connections to the specific tax breaks that this company received?
13: Well, so Jake, in the White House, Ivanka and Jared were both actively supporting this tax program, which provided tax cuts. Uh, Ivanka was involved in a White House roundtable with business executives, and she also spoke with some GOP lawmakers to support the tax program. Now, this program would provide tax breaks for any investor who put money into low income areas that were designated as opportunity zones. Now, there's no evidence that Jared or Ivanka had a role in which areas were deemed these opportunity zones. But Jared Kushner has an investment in a real estate company called Kadri. That's the one that he sold his stake in today or or earlier this month. Uh, But this was this was the source of the controversy here. Now, Kushner, when he entered the White House, his investment in this company, Kadri, was worth about five million dollars. Now its investment is worth about 25 to 50 million dollars. So quite a profit for him there, Jake.
1: This is why people divest uh, when they join government, so there aren't questions about profiting off the job that one is doing. Has Kushner responded to these accusations of, of conflict of interest?
13: Yeah, so um, Kushner was first approached by the company, Cadre, to sell his stake. He agreed to do it at their request. Now, his lawyer, Abby Lowell, says that he consulted the Office of Government and Ethics and the White House Counsel's Office, and in a statement he said to us, from before and after joining the administration, Mr. Kushner has gone to great lengths to seek advice about and fully comply with all ethics rules. This is the latest example of how seriously he takes this responsibility. Jake?
1: All right, Karis Ganel, thanks. $20 million profit, that's quite a nice chunk of change. Some other medical facts President Trump is contradicting, this time impacting U.S. service members. That's next. President Trump continues to contradict top health officials about the coronavirus. But as CNN's Barbara Starr reports for us now from the Pentagon, this is not new. This follows a pattern for President Trump. Just last month, he suggested that traumatic brain injuries in service members who were on the military base struck by Iran, that those TBIs were simply headaches.
2: The military is now looking at strengthening these protective bunkers at the al-Assad air base in Iraq, where more than 100 U.S. troops suffered traumatic brain injuries after an Iranian ballistic missile attack. Bunker improvements to provide better protection against those injuries that President Trump has continuously dismissed.
8: I can report it is not very serious. I'm very serious. Uh, I heard that they had headaches.
2: But his own defense secretary, Mark Esper, acknowledging it is something more.
6: And this was a new challenge to us. It's the first time we've seen our service members subject to a ballistic missile attack with a thousand pound plus warhead.
2: More than 400,000 U.S. troops have been diagnosed with traumatic brain injury or TBI in the last two decades. Now, the Pentagon is searching for crucial new answers on rapid diagnosis, treatment and protection from the blast pressure of weapons explosions. For some military families and veterans, the president's continued downplaying of TBI brought fresh grief and a renewed push to bring attention to the seriousness of these injuries. Ryan Bridge survived several blasts in Afghanistan. He still wakes up with headaches a decade later.
9: The public needs to know that traumatic brain injury is, is a serious injury. Frank, yes, sir. Thank
2: you very much. Frank Larkin, a retired Senate Sergeant at Arms, Navy SEAL, and Secret Service agent, wrote to Trump about the suicide of his son Ryan, also a former Navy SEAL, after the president's comments.
1: It was
9: a hit to the gut.
2: Larkin Um, writing Trump's words were an undeserved punch felt by every person suffering from a TBI, their shattered families and supporting communities.
1: Ryan had always said something's wrong with my head, but nobody believes me.
2: On April 23rd, 2017, Ryan Larkin took his own life. His parents had watched their son deteriorate after years of his brain being subjected to military blasts. They donated his brain to a military medical study on the relationship of TBI and blast waves.
1: Three months later, um, they called us in and said, uh, your, your son had an, um, an undiagnosed severe level of microscopic brain injury direct, directly related to blast exposure.
2: Larkin wants to look ahead, hoping his son's death may help others understand traumatic brain injury is a killer.
1: He died for his country and he died from combat injuries. He just didn't die right away.
2: And those injured in this latest incident in Iraq are now subject to years of potential monitoring by the military to ensure that their injuries don't grow worse. Jake? Jake?
1: Barbara Starr at the Pentagon. Thank you so much. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Our thanks to the Larkin family for participating in that story.
0: Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together.